creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, September 11th. 2018, and it's the Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studio, our illustrious engineer on the ones and twos, my brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. <laughs> I'm trying, just trying a new inflection today. Joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, that's Tyler Huckabee. Hey, everybody. And also in Nashville, just down the road, author, podcaster, speaker, Miss Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. Uh, Cameron, you've dropped extraordinaire. Did I do something? <laughs> well, you know, you kind of get used to things after a while. You know oh, what I mean? Okay. It's we like, ju- we're just past the honeymoon phase. I'm, you're, on the podcast. I'm used to your extraordinary nature. It's just now ordinary because it's, it's yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? That's hard to hear. That's hard to hear. I'll have to spice up my slices that I bring. Yeah. Coming up later on the show, we have a great one for you today. Coming up later, we talk to Foster the People. Uh, not like the random bassist. Or like that side person? No, we're talking to Mark Foster yeah, Mark himself Foster. on the show. Man, today. this and this was well, people will hear, but it went directions that I was not expecting. So I'm very excited about. Really? It. Yeah, yeah. Same. Oh. Same. I was surprised. I was, that, that was a that was a pretty good interview there, Jesse. Don't let anybody ever tell you you're not pretty good. You're not pretty handy with the old microphone. I will say this, Tyler. No one has ever <laughs> said that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Except for Hannibal Burris, who uh, ended an interview early one time. Other than that, the, I do love that story. Been pretty positive. Well, hey, I don't want. I'd be remiss. You know, this is September 11th. I mean, the defining moment of this generation. Yeah. I mean, the world has not been the same since. Do y'all remember where you were? Yeah, the yeah. morning oh, of yeah. September yeah. 11th. Yeah. Of course, oh, vividly, yeah. vividly. I, I was getting. I was a freshman in college, getting ready for a class. And, uh, yeah, had the TV on in the background. Um, and that was right after only one of the towers had been hit with, a, you know, one of the, the plane at that point. And then obviously sat there all morning and with tons of people in my dorm watching everything unfold. Yeah, it was a unforgettable day in a lot of ways. We, we went to like a I went to ORU. I thought I was going to ORU at the time. We went to like a very large the, the whole campus had like an emergency chapel you know, shortly later that, that morning. And at that time, uh, Oral Roberts himself was probably in his nineties in 2001. Uh, he, he died not long after that. Um, but, uh, he had like called in and they put him on the speakers over the chapel to talk to the students and pray. And yeah, I mean, just, I I think, I think anyone kind of in our age range, it's a, a very formative day, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. What about you, uh, Annie and Tyler? Yeah, I was a junior in college and I was in class. I remember like it, someone ran in to our class and like yelled it in the middle of class and the teacher stopped and didn't understand. And so everybody wow. turned on their TV. They turned on the big team. Well, you know, this was 2001. So they turned on the one TV that was in the room. We didn't even, I don't even know that we had cell phones. I think we did, but yeah, of course there were cell phones have, in nine, in 2001. Yeah, you did. 
Yeah, I had cell phones in the mid-90s. As I know personally, you come from a long lineage of media <laughs> moguls. I do not. So, <laughs> you had, so, so Cameron is basically is, was Zach Morris in the 90s, is what, I, what I'm led yeah, to believe. That's, right. that's my first guy with one of those giant gray ones. I was not. So I, I just remember they turned the TV on and we watched, and then they released class by 10 o'clock that morning. So by the time we got home, we saw the rest of it on TV. I was actually, I was in high school at the time. And uh, I was homeschooled, so I was at my job my as a 16-year-old at Old Navy. And uh, before, we had, I was just getting there a little early to stock some of the shelves with everybody else. And they were all obviously quite a bit older than I was. You're stocking it with uh, carpenter jeans? <laughs> yeah, yeah. carpenter jeans and the pocket tees and the, the American flag t-shirts that they would, you could buy for $2.99. You still wear those. That I still wear, that I'm wearing right now, <laughs> and uh, and then we we all like gathered around. I didn't have the big TV. We all gathered around the radio and and listened to it, and and uh, had to spend the rest of the day manning the fitting room and getting regular updates from people who were coming in to try on a pair yeah. of jeans on the first September 11th. Wow, I, I slept through the whole thing. Really, mm-hmm. I was up I, late the night before, which I typically was. It was a you know, was it, were you at ORU too at the time? No, it was. I started Relevant in June of 2000, so this was a year okay. and three months into trying to get a company off the ground, and you know, working 22 hours a day, kind of a season, and I worked until two, three in the morning, four in the morning that night before, and just collapsed, exhausted, slept in, and <laughs> woke up to like 30 texts and messages of you know the staff like trying to like find me and where am I. And uh, it was like one in the afternoon. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what happened? And I turned on the TV and saw the replays. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I slept through it. I was in 7 Eleven when I found out. How old were you, Chandler? Yeah. yeah. I was in ninth grade. Yeah. Oh, ninth oh, wow. grade. Mm-hmm. Or you, Why were you in 7 Eleven? That's cutting, a school day. You, uh, I was home school at the time and would do schoolwork at my parents' office. My mom had a lunch meeting or something. So I was getting my lunch for that day. From the 7 Eleven? Went, went into 7 Eleven by myself and somebody was in line was like had mentioned a plane hitting one of the twin towers to the clerk who was who had a new york accent so they were going on about you know about that and then yeah you know september 11th has taken on like some new thoughts for me too because it's the day that our church was founded 15 ish years ago and it's also the day that our pastor quit 2 years ago and and so it just has it has all these it's this weird feeling of all these things in a pot. Maybe this is what happens when you get older is that things stack on top of important dates and other important things stack on top. And, and so now this day holds so many college emotions of what would, of when that happened. And then so many recent emotions. I don't know. It's, it's a day that I, I journal a lot on this morning. <laughs> yeah. I, one of the, the other kind of things I think that, you know, with the, the passage of years, you know, the way that American culture in a lot of ways has processed it by reflecting on it. You know, I, you look, even looking back at like the movies that have depicted the events of nine 11 in some way or, or another, I, I feel like as you know, the activity of viewing them and discussing them is kind of a cathartic thing to kind of help process mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, particular and not just like the ones, you, you know, I think like Nick Cage was in one and there was, you know, the Paul Greengrass one about the flight that the passengers ended up taking down before, you know, sacrificing their own lives before it could, mm-hmm. you know, crash into a building. But then, 
Uh, there's one, I, you know, the book was better, but I the movie extremely loud and incredibly close. Did you guys see that with Tom Hanks uh, a few years ago? I really mm-hmm. loved the book. I, I, I'm with you that the movie didn't really capture it, but but, but it's still worth. Still, it, it, that's still a movie that I feel like on that day is worth watching. You know, it's not it's it's not like um, a classic, but it's certainly one of those things that I feel like really helps kind of reflect on the experience in an interesting way. You know. It doesn't feel like it's exploitive of what happened yeah, 9/11, exactly. on 9 11 in a way some of those other pieces of media do because it's not necessarily about the firefighters or, or it's just about the ramifications. It's kind of about what, yeah. what yeah. a lot of us had to go through afterward. It's, it's t- still tough, I think, to make a movie or a show about something that was that's just sort of hard to capture. I'm not sure we've even really still now totally understand the ways that it changed. Yeah, but we are. Individually, and it's fascinating because there are adults now who who are young adults, right? I mean, eighteen year olds Mm -hmm. who barely remember it at all. Yeah, you know, who just don't. I mean, you know, when I was teaching school, there were kids who who we would talk about it every year, and they would. I was in first grade, and they're in their mid twenties. So it's just fascinating that something that is so defining for us is quickly becoming something we tell people about that they didn't actually experience. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, a generation about to become legal adults that, you know, for them, it is a part of American history, not a part of their personal history, you know? Right. Um, right. Which is, it's wild to think about because, you know, I think when everyone collectively experiences something like that, um, you, you know, that becomes like a personal age milestone that, that everyone shares together. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that happened when I was in college. Oh, that, you know, is in high. But like everyone kind of has that as an anchor point that they can kind of recall back to and they share that with everyone in some way or another. And it's interesting. Yeah, a whole generation. They, like I said, literally will soon be graduating high school. That, that, that isn't part of their personal history at all in terms of their shared experience. It's also, uh, you know unique to be experiencing a pivot in history as it's happening. Cause we look back mm-hmm. at like Pearl Harbor. Okay. The world forever changed for the two decades after that JFK was assassinated the next decade, you know, uh, the turmoil that ensued, you know, like the world changed when JFK was assassinated, you know, uh, nine 11, the world very much changed after that, yeah. you know, and it's like, it's just interesting to see, like being aware of in history, like we're living in a new era because of this one yeah. event, you know? It's, it's, and, and even yeah. just like, I remember, you know, in the days following that, it felt like the world was just really different and it never, beca- it never would become yeah, like it, it was did, in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. The first, I mean, like every major sporting event was canceled, obviously, because it was like, everybody was afraid of like, you know, they're going to target at large gatherings of people. Right. And, um, but do you remember like after those f- couple of weeks, I mean, there was a couple of weeks, you know, where like President Bush was there with the megaphone and, you know, with the firefighters and stuff like that. It was like, it, it really united everybody. Like I, I, I was watching a documentary about the racial divide and the, and the era that we're in right now and all the strife and, you know, and the tribalism that's happening and all that kind of stuff. And it's almost like, what could possibly reunite yeah. America? And somebody said, really, honestly, the only thing would be like an alien attack where it's like, <laughs> I'm not oh, like, I'm not worried about white versus black. I'm versus, yeah. we are human <laughs> humans yeah. versus non-humans. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, I, it was almost like we had that happen after nine 11. It was like Americans. It was like, it was like, and we just didn't even know how it was going to be different, but you're right, Jesse, that even that afternoon and the next days you thought every, everything's different everything's different and we didn't know the rules that would change at the airport and we didn't know the rules that would change at stadiums, but you just knew 
this was marking us. Yeah. 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 And it wasn't just like the practical differences too. It's like the feeling of insecurity of like, well, something terrible. It never really felt Mm -hmm. like something terrible could just happen at any moment, you know, Um, such like a a horrible malicious thing could, could, you know, happen while I, you know, when I remember when I went to the airport to fly out to college, all my friends walked down to the airport jetway with me, you know, yeah. because people didn't, that wasn't even the frame of reference that something horrible like that would happen. But I will say one thing that I do, and I, I don't, I haven't done it every year, but I've done it a lot of years on this day is, and this is a weird thing. You know, I think all of us are really into pop culture and that's something that we kind of helps frame how we see the world. But a lot of times I'll go back and watch the first Saturday night live, at least the opening after 9 yeah. 11, because, yeah. you know, not only does it have one of the best one liners in the history, one of the most important one liners in the history of the show, but Cameron, it did a lot of what you said, and everyone forgot about ideological differences for a little while. And you had at the time Rudy Giuliani, who's the mayor of New York, come on with first responders from New York. A lot of people, a lot of those. Uh, people who were joined, uh, Lauren Michaels and the cast and um, Rudy Giuliani on stage had personally lost people that day, you know, and that that when Lauren Michaels asked Rudy Giuliani for permission, can we be funny? You know, like, is the time right that we can, mm. in our defiance, still grieve, but realize we can't let it steal what makes us people? You know, and to a degree, that is our ability to to laugh and share, you know, humor with each other. And Rudy Giuliani's response to Laura Michaels saying, can we be funny? And Rudy Giuliani saying, why start now? And, you know, the, it brings the room yeah. down, but also it was <laughs> like this <laughs> national release of tension in a way. You know what I mean? Because there you have the mayor who lived yeah. through it, standing with their first responders and everyone saying, okay. We can we can laugh and we can try to move on in certain ways while never forgetting, but still remembering like we can't let it beat us down to the point where we can't even laugh together anymore. Well, how about this? Before before we move on to all the other stuff we have to get to today, Chandler, Wait, what are you doing my job? For? What are you week. doing my job for? I'm the one who moves the show along. Okay, move it along. Okay. <laughs> You're getting dethroned, Chandler. I had one question before uh-huh. we before we uh, officially move anything along. I want to ask this every. So every this is week an unofficial. It's an unofficial move along. Yeah, it's exactly. Unofficial I'm going to slice this. I'm saying oh, I'm still staying up here in the front. I'm right. just saying <laughs> topically, I have something I don't want to address before we get to slices. Is okay. and I'm going to ask it every week, um, right. and it can be a yes or no because I know we talked about it a lot last week. Has the black card come in yet? The Chili's black card. I have not gotten it yet. Well, yeah. I haven't. I haven't checked my mail in the last. Di- I didn't check the mail yesterday, so it's possible I got it yesterday or today. But as of Monday, I had not gotten it yet. So, so it is confirmed that it is a physical thing being mailed to you. It's not like some digital link or. Whatever. Well, I mean, that's what that that's how it was implied. They asked me to send them my address, so oh. I'm assuming they're going to ship me something. That's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah. I will let you know when I get it. Yeah, they probably listened to the show last week and have revoked it. But <laughs> yeah, I hope not. I'm really we waiting. Said, on no, it. We didn't say anything terrible about Chili's. No, I really need you to get it before I'm down there in October so that we can go throw <laughs> go take down. Absolutely. 
It's, you can't throw down on chilies. You will be feeling that for days and days afterwards. <laughs> I didn't say I was going to eat it all. I'm just going to order it all because it's free. Oh, <laughs> the black card. Hey, oh, I would I love you. to go. We can, we can go to there's chilies here in Nashville. We can get together. We don't need a black card. There is no not, way that you two are getting together in Nashville. Popular. I don't need the... I don't, I'll pay for that food. I'm a Tyler, there is, <laughs> Tyler, they don't have a chilies in East Nashville and you can't ride thank your you. fixie to the one over by the mall. <laughs> thank, you, so. thank you. Thank you. Thank is it you. Is it 2001? Now, here's anyway. here's where I've here's my theory. <laughs> little motorized scooters. My, my awesome. theory about hipster culture, like Tyler there in East Nashville, Nashville it's all secular. It's a cyclical. I'm what? butchering it. Secular. What? Secular. secular is what you're very for. secular. I, dude, I can't speak at all. Cameron, did you curse him when he tried to move the show along? Did you do something? <laughs> yeah, he has. He cast a, a I foul. I had a little Jesse Voodoo <laughs> doll over here in my tongue. palm. But, but like, it, it goes in waves where things become like that people do it ironically. And then yeah. it becomes so many people are doing it ironically that people are doing it genuinely. And then it just becomes legitimately cool. Like, so yeah. it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if, if Chili's is the coolest place in East Nashville right now. We ride there on the I, old I think it bicycles is. with the giant first wheel. Penny farthings. Really. Penny farthings. <laughs> Penny farthings. Yeah. Penny yeah. farthings. Yeah. yeah. I told you, y'all taught me that word back in the olden days of the podcast. I didn't even know what that word was yeah. until I was a podcast listener in like 2004 or something. I remember there was by our office a few years, you know, back then, uh, there was a, a bicycle shop and uh, Adam Smith and Jesse and I were driving back from our lunch at Wendy's. And we were driving back to the office and there's a, there's a traffic light like right yeah. there. And we just, all we did was in that era, just go to Wendy's and like, like joke around all lunch and stuff. And then we we're like, Hey, we should record this, make it a podcast. And, uh, we were coming back. I think we were having to actually go back and record a podcast. And so yeah. we were going back and we were at the traffic light. We looked, so I don't know who it was. We looked to the right and there was a, in the bike shop in the window, there was a penny farthing. It was yeah. like, that was the most amazing thing. And then that podcast, Adam just went off on the, uh, the gentleman's society yeah. type thing. Yeah, I remember and the it. Inner yeah. farthing and the hip, 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 you know, that's. I was still, I still <laughs> would like to ride or own one of those bikes just because it's a great conversation starter, you know, and it's not like super obnoxious, you know, like you, you, I see those bikes sometimes, how you probably see them all over East Nashville, that people just make really, really tall for no reason. You know what I'm talking about? Super tall bikes. Chandler, you know oh, what yeah. I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's Tyler's mm-hmm. side of the river for sure. And they, they roll up, they roll up to critical mass on like a 12 foot tall bike and just think it's hilarious. It's no, there's no point to it. It's just dumb. They're just, <laughs> right. they're just peacocking is what they're doing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They're just hipster showing peacock, off. There's they're nothing worse off. in the world than hipster peacocking. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If you want, if, if you, I, because a penny farther is like, I am OG cyclists. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is where it all started. It's not tall for no reason it's tall because that's how they used to make them for you know for one giant wheel you know <laughs> the only way you can pull it off though is if you have the mustache you know and like you're completely self-aware i mean like yeah. you can't think you gotta really commit yeah like, wait that's yeah. so sexist i'll never have the mustache i need to ride a penny farm. you, you can, can get you a fake have to mustache. Be like you have to be like i don't know have a have a gown with a or lot a of monocle have a it. large monocle basically <laughs> yeah, get as close to mr peanut as you can and that that will okay. get you that's all, all you, right yeah you know. okay yeah yeah uh, i have no idea how we got on that but <laughs> chilies hipster right. chilies yeah dude yeah. and seriously like a quarter of the relevant podcast mentions right now are 
like, oh, I'm Canadian. I'm going to come to the U.S. in a couple weeks. Now, honestly, with all y'all talking about, I'm going to go to Chili's first <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah, we honestly like, need a jingle. The and salsa. <laughs> Chili's update. And then it's like, <laughs> you know, you get a black card. No, not yet. Oh, cool. That'd be Brilliant. really cool to have that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Chili's <laughs> update. Then we leave it at that. 100%. Chandler, get on that I for next it. week. I could definitely I can make that happen. Okay. <laughs> Sound effects. Like, or the ABC News. Hey, get a black card yet? Nope. Oh, man, it'd be really nope. cool if you got free Chili's still. <laughs> Chili's update. And then it's, that's it. That's it. That's right. That's right. Right there. That's, that's so it. Good. Can't bring it, it up right. again. It's in the, it has to be sandwiched between two Chili's updates. <laughs> Jingles. That's the rule. The hard rule. Now listen, I don't want to, I don't want to have a hex upon me by Cameron, but is this the time we get to talk about Steve Strang's book he wrote? Jesse, oh, have no. you read any of it or do we need to wait? I, I, you know, I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to, my plan was to read some on the plane, but uh, I, I wasn't able to the other day. But I, I see that you not only have an electronic copy, but a hard copy as well. Oh, I for sure have a hard copy. Someone else, one of our listeners actually bought it too. On Okay, listen, we do not want to send people to Amazon looking for one of the books that my dad has written. He has written ones that we don't want to mention. That's, that what is he, true. What she's referring to is a self-published <laughs> oh, book that she wrote, that no. my, my father wrote yes. for the family, chronicling our family lineage and history. Instead of just writing it up as a Word document on a new computer, he decided to send it off to Amazon and get it printed. And so yes. I, we it's were called, talking it's about titled this. How we fit in. We were talking about it on last week's show <laughs> because Annie was in Scotland, and I mentioned, "Oh, I learned I was from Scotland because my dad." Da, da, da. And uh, and she went on and bought it, and it has been texting me photos of pages <laughs> from the book because I haven't read it yes, yet. I have. You know, here's yes, the irony: is the, the book, as you and uh, uh, Chandler both explained, and as the Amazon description says, it was written solely for, it was written for an audience of two. Yeah. And both of whom are on this podcast right now. Yes, neither yes, of yes, you have is. read it, and this will. The, I have a bad feeling this is the closest either of you will come to knowing no, what the contents of this book. No, no, no. I did and flip through it a actually, bit throughout this week. the book, it does say your grandparents are. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is wow. literally it's written, literally written to Cameron and Chandler. The letter, yeah. yeah. And you both need to read it. Well, I did. I did flip through it this week. The fact that you (laughs) sent me a picture of a page where he was talking about the people that he has through ancestry.com and other investigative means, he has tracked that we are connected to relationally. Yes. And you sent me a page of a picture that we are related to both Will Ferrell and Kirk Cameron. Yes. I was like, oh my goodness, (laughs) Tyler. It's a picture of Kirk Cameron, but it says like. We can assume we're related to Kirk Cameron because he has the same. I last think. Name. I think that's that's standard journalistic practice, though. Oh, and, and the Will Ferrell one's even better because the Will Ferrell one is like there was a party one time at yeah. a Ferrell family party where someone we're related to was there, and they said that a few years ago Will Ferrell was at the same party. It's called. It's called journalism. Well, yeah. This is basic reporting. Awesome. <laughs> I, this is the only book. I, I, I am very confident. This is the only book that has large pictures of Kirk Cameron and Will Ferrell <laughs> on the same page. <laughs> hey, but listen, I also want to be really honoring to your dad because he did a ton of work and it's really I mean it's a really sweet story your grandmother (laughs) this is where it feels weird to me that I know all this your grandmother who is still alive that's in a nursing home seems really lovely (laughs) she's very lovely (laughs) I feel like you need to go visit her more grandma Amy I literally yeah I really like grandma Amy I I texted with my parents last night and uh, my mom replied 
and my dad didn't. And then this morning I woke up to a text from my dad like, oh, sorry, I, I missed this. I was visiting grandma and giving her a pedicure. Oh, that's very oh, nice. That's very nice. Yeah. That's a, that's that's a nice. That couldn't be nicer. Didn't Thanks, need the detail. Yeah, that's... Grandma Amy. So for for the listeners, a little <laughs> outline. Each there are a chapter for each of Can- Chandler and Cameron's grandparents. So like mom's mom, mom's dad, dad's mom, dad's dad, and then a lineage of that side of the family. And so you really get to know each grandparent. I have a question for you based on all of this sure. um, of the grandparents that you've met. Have you, have you read all four of the chapters on the grandparents? Let, let's use the word read okay. really loosely have you, have about you this whole thing. Processed in some fashion or another. Yeah. Right. yeah. I've been through all, all right. the chapters. All right. Yes. Which one would you want to bring with us to our chilies? Like all you can eat. <gasps> oh, grandma, <laughs> Amy, <laughs> for sure. Grandma, Amy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone okay. said to grandma, Amy's, parents said be a preacher buy a dictionary marry a school teacher i was like that's, that's great advice, advice. be that's a preacher solid. buy a dictionary marry a school teacher I, I i'll say this annie i actually have a copy i've been thumbing through it and i got i got all the way to the chapter called the good stuff and i didn't oh. turn the next page so i didn't we'll see it's a real cliffhanger i'm waiting and you know the other great part is 40 percent of the book is appendixes Appendi? Appendies. Appendi- I, I know a lot about my grandparents. It's the, you know, like, like, like big mama and big daddy, my, my mom's parents, uh, big daddy was a, a mission, an evangelist. And he went, he was having a revival service he was. and, uh, Miss Rose, Rose Cameron was there. And, yes. uh, and he basically proposed and said, I am going to Cuba on mission on a missions trip. And I want you to come with me. Let's get married. And so they got, they got married. Wow. It's kind of like a shotgun wedding. I mean, it's like my, both of, both of my families were in the ministry. Like my, my uh, great grandmother was ordained in the assemblies of God in 1914 when it was founded. Um, Both of, I mean, missionaries, uh, Bible college professors, pastors, um, evangelists, both of my, both families. It was really amazing. The, the lineage and of ministry that. It is uh, amazing. It's really amazing. Chandler is continuing. It's really fun. To- <laughs> <laughs> and there, and here, your yes. dad wrote his own tombstone in the back of the book too, by the it's way. It's really weird. They wow. really have. They've planned yeah. it all his out. Own yeah, epitaph, really is that they are yeah. literally like, uh, we're going to Cracker Barrel and they're like, oh, by the way, we designed the mausoleum or the yeah. tomb or whatever what? they're doing. Yes. Yeah. Can I, can I read I about know it. This is, a recent thing. Is. is this too dark? I, they I'm, did that. I'm all, hold on. I'm confused by a weird part of the story. They did that while driving to Cracker Barrel. No, we were, no, we were at dinner at Cracker Barrel and like, just like chit chat, like, oh, how's, how's the house oh, renovation? Okay, I was like okay. this. How are you guys? Well, we just actually finalized the design for the mausoleum at the cemetery, you know, like, yep. yeah. you know, I'll be in the top shelf. <laughs> And then you you can be over here, and I'm like, why are we talking about this over biscuits? You if you wanna if you wanna be buried there, it's like, oh, well, thanks for the offer. Thanks for the offer. <laughs> Do your parents have a pretty cavalier attitude towards death? I don't know. I don't know Our how they mom feel is about the it. One who's who's really gung ho about the the burial stuff. The burial my, stuff. My dad has a very cavalier attitude towards his own yeah. death. He well, talks about it regularly. He's in medicine, very, though, right? Isn't he in medicine? He, yeah, he he's a physician. Oh, that yeah. But, but, but is like, that is he like think? saying it? Like self-deprecating or like I'm excited about it or like what? Why would he talk about it? I don't think he like, I long for death. I don't think it's one of those situations, (laughs) but he just doesn't really, it does not. So he's not goth. No fear. Yeah. No fear. Like if if the doctor told him tomorrow, like you only got three weeks, he'd be like, "Hmm, all right. Like, and he would be very, he would be confused about why we were all upset about it. 
Yeah. I mean, I gotta be honest with you. I don't think about death at all. I mean, I mean, I, I, not, I, I just, it's one of those things that like as a believer, as a Christian, like your hope is in the, in, in what comes next. It's not. Can I now read your father's okay. epitaph? Because Cameron, I need, you're going to have to write yours too now Okay. to mirror this. Uh, says his name, his birthday, Christian husband, family man, journalist, founder, Charisma Magazine, Charisma Media. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's beautiful. But I need to read you the sentence afterwards. <laughs> For all of you trivia buffs, <laughs> on my own grave will be a play on words. In this scripture, the English word gift is charisma in Greek. So by choosing this scripture, which tells of my Christian beliefs, I fit in a subtle reference to charisma. And I think, Cameron, when you write yours, you need to have some subtle references to relevant. I, I think, hey, Cameron, you know what you need to do is be like, hey, mom, dad, I was thinking about it. I wanted to hand over my plans for the mausoleum for my, uh, my, for my tombstone <laughs> as a small monument and hand them over the most elaborate sketch ever of like a, of a statue. Like not only is there a fountain, there is a hot tub for visitors to my grave oh my to gosh. just slide on into. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys, do you guys think about something like that? Like I, the last thing in my ever I would ever think of is how I want to be honored in my death. Right. Like I, I couldn't care less. Like just, Put me in the fire and move on. You know, like, I, I don't know. That's like, all right. I've, I've written up some plans so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And I, Chandler <laughs> and Cameron, y'all both need to read this dip. book. Your dad did an extraordinary yeah, amount of work. I want to be, I want to go out like, I want to be put in the front seat of a convertible weekend at Bernie's style with sunglasses on and someone just puts the pedal to the floor and I fly off a cliff and it'd be awesome. People would just be cheering. (laughs) Well, that was rad. That was the coolest send out. So like the old middle, middle ages where they floated you out and shot an arrow and set you on fire. You want the like 1978 version of that. I want like the Thelma and Louise. I want want to be be in an evil Knievel weekend at Bernie's status For sure in do. the front seat of like an old Camaro and just ramp off a cliff and yeah. people are just going to cheer and think it's the coolest funeral yeah. ever. So I want, I want the Viking funeral for sure. Like on the boat, you know, everybody stands on the shore, but instead of the flaming arrows, okay. I think paintball guns. Oh, but then that <laughs> just, just like, like, takes turn to splattering the butt, just a menagerie. Yeah, all over your colors. body. I'm an artist. <laughs> I'm an artist. I want to go out like as a piece of art. And as I go over the cliff, I mean, it's not going to, I'm not going to like burn away. So it'll be very morbid for somebody down the road, but initially it'll be cool. I want my funeral to actually be a weekend, a Bernie style weekend. <laughs> 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 Where we set you up with sunglasses yeah, and everything. Yeah, we go on vacation. One less. One less. <laughs> Awful. Have you guys ever thought about the pitch meeting for Weekend at Bernie's? Like, how did that get greenlit? Like, Repeatedly. Are there like, more than one of them? There's several. There's several. Think about the pitch. Think about going in there. Do you wonder if the screenwriter who's going to meet with the executives about this big comedy idea, like right before he walked into the room, he was like, I'm about to pitch a movie where the main star's a dead corpse. Like, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is a terrible idea. But hey, good for them. You know, a real, real franchise there. <laughs> All right. Well, moving the show along. Now, our Tuesday show, it's time for Slices. Slices. All right. What do you have, Jesse? Um, hey, so I have a twofer. Sorry, but uh, both were interesting Rocky. and I want to talk about them. So, um, New data from Pew uh, has found that one in four Americans 
have now deleted Facebook from their phones entirely. One in four. What? Oh, how many people of the four of us who has Facebook on their phone? I, I deleted it from my phone. I have it. I don't have it on my I phone. I have it, but you I can't remember the last time I opened it. Well, so 50% of us, so two out of four, we're pretty close. Well, actually, um, it, you know, the younger you are, the more likely you are ha- to have deleted it from your phone. Uh, a 44% of users 18 to 29 said that they've deleted Facebook app from their phones. What's interesting is only 12% of users over the age of 60, over the age of 65 have reported doing so. Uh, when asked why, they said, I don't know how to delete it. <laughs> oh so my mean. gosh, dude! Are you oh, turning no. into Fallon? You're trying to become Fallon. I did that You're joke just to do You didn't bring a slice. Jay you brought Lando a jokes. monologue. What are you doing? We got a great show tonight. Mark Foster's on. You hear about this guy, Mark Foster? <laughs> they didn't know how. They called their grandson on Facebook. And guess what? He deleted it. <laughs> 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 wow, you really worked out that whole thing, oh, Jesse. Wow. I, I've Beautiful. been doing this podcast with you since 2005, and I don't think I've ever heard you do a monologue bit <laughs> like that. I w- really? Well, the cadence, I mean, the setup, the, the news I don't see this in the news. You hear about this one? Kevin, you hear about this one? Facebook, they said. They didn't know how, Kevin. Didn't know how. <laughs> they didn't know how. Newfangled thing. And then Jay like holds up the phone and acts like he's mashing the keys. Yeah. <laughs> Huckabee, why did you delete it off your phone? Um, I don't know. It kind of stopped being all that interesting for me. I needed some space. Um, I think that in I think that in general, the more uh, did you say like you needed bar- space? Like you needed like memory like, on your space phone? On my phone. Like yeah, yeah. So like, um, but that that's funny because the app doesn't take up that much room. So it was like, no, it I doesn't. Could de- I, just, I could delete I just got this. On a, kick of like deleting apps. I could delete this three-year-old Mark Maron episode that's taking up two gigs or I'll (laughs) delete the Facebook app. Right. I think it got me on a kick. I think that in general, the more barriers I can put between me and getting on social media, the better. Um, Just because otherwise it can really take over my life. And especially if when, uh, when I'm on for relevant, like trying to find things to, to write about for, for slices it because it can sort of take over your whole world. So I started actively looking for fewer, for less things to be for, for it to be harder for me to get on social media. And I'm glad I did. It's been a good thing yeah. for me. A- Annie, what was your reasoning for deleting that? Yeah, very similar. Not space on my phone per se, but I just don't. I I find that that is one app that feels like it takes a lot from me. Like it just, it can take my time. It can take my energy. It can take my emotions and make me care about stuff I do not care about. And so I just found, I, I, about a year ago, I deleted all the social media off my phone for a month. And when I was bringing it back, I thought I really miss Instagram because I really love Instagram. I'm going to bring back Twitter because I like it. And I didn't bring back Facebook or email and it's been great. Wow. Email either. Yeah. uh -uh. I don't have, and and the signature of my two email addresses, it says... I don't have email on my phone. So I, you're getting this response when I get back to my computer, you know, and you, cause you just teach people how available you are. And I just have spent a year telling people you can get me anytime I'm at my computer and I'm at my computer a lot, Yeah, but you're not going to get me email on my phone. I, I have Facebook mostly for professional reasons. Um, uh, Farmville. No, um, yeah. <laughs> Farmville. 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 no, um, <laughs> 
just, this is going to be your new go-to bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't you know can save anything. any joke. You can save I, any joke I, by I, taking I, it right I, 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 No, no, but like mainly, like you were saying, Tyler, like I kind of want to be, I, I want to have some knowledge of what uh, people are sharing and kind of reacting to, but man, I, I make a real effort to, to not invest too much time into it outside of that, just because it's the it seems to be the most toxic of the platforms yeah. in a lot of ways. You know, like Twitter is always interesting to me and it's a lot of fun, you know, and it, it's a great way to um, you know, kind of see what's happening. Like news breaks on Twitter before it's anywhere else a lot of times. Um right. and you know, Instagram's fun to look at and it's fun to see mostly like personal stuff, pictures of, you know. I was about to say, even though you hide away, I, hey, no I'm one right knows out there. You. you just got to find me. It's not like it's like encrypted or something. But I will say, like you know, for content purposes, like Facebook still gets a ton of reactions in, to some way. But I still like, but like you were saying, Tyler, it's too easy to get drawn down rabbit holes and just be like, I can't believe these people are saying. Like we posted something yeah. even the morning that we're recording this, and it's up to like 300 comments or something. You know, really? and it can be really easy to want to spend time on seeing what everybody says about something that you personally yep. wrote. But then you're like, you know what? Most of this is not going to be lead to anything positive or productive, you know? Um, yeah, that's right. More like irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. More like irrelevant. Yeah. Oh, that's make annoying. It into a People do game. that a lot. I bet. We'd die, oh, you would not believe. Oh, you would every, not believe that. I mean, we've talked you, about four, but. And they all think they're the first one to come up with that. And it's literally every thread of everything about halfway down. Such a sick burn. Yeah. <laughs> Such a sick burn. Yeah. And, and they always, the it conversation makes us rethink always everything. It really, goes, you yeah. know, the, we appreciate the constructive criticism and it really makes us go back to the drawing board and rethink our purpose. And you know what? He's really, right. we appreciate the people like who chime irrelevant. in. I should do another story about. <laughs> Uh, you know, whatever pet product, uh, you know, topic, this individual user, this clever, clever user happens to, to think I should write it. Start, in my this time is, this is why we don't, this is why we don't get involved in the comment section because it would just be like yeah. this the entire yeah, time. I, yeah. I, last night I, uh, I, I was, uh, interviewing, uh, Levi Lusco. You'll hear it in the coming weeks. And, uh, we got talking about that. How how do you handle criticism? How do you handle whatever? And I told him, I was like, the first thing that we tell people when we hire a new writer or editor on our team, especially if they're young, you know, they're, you know, excited to be here and whatever. I was like, do not read the Facebook comments. Right. Do not read the comments. And they're like, okay, we get it. You know, yeah. But then they write their first piece and we put it out there and they just really want to see what people think of it. And it crushes them. It's like, it's just like, no, don't read that. Those are the mean yeah. people. Right. Go read the responses you know. on Twitter. They're lovely. <laughs> or don't or don't at all. And the, the thing <laughs> is, like, the, the irony is like, hey, you can tell uh, a, a writer like someone clicked a thumb, a, literally a button that is a thumbs up that they really liked what you did like 10,000 times. Don't get in the weeds about 100 comments. You know what I Man, mean? That is the but, truth. but words have power. You know what I mean? Like. People, I mean, I feel yeah. like I can't speak for all of you guys, but I feel reasonably bulletproof when it comes to stuff just because I've read so much garbage on social media that nothing really rattles me anymore. But for some people, I understand the impulse not to just delete it from their phone because it's a distraction. But like I said, out of all of the mediums, Facebook has emerged as the one that is the most 
toxic and probably bad for your mental health overall you know and i don't want to make it seem like when we say all this i i have had i recently had happened for a a piece i did where somebody offered a comment uh that was a constructive criticism that was thoughtful and when i read what i and i'm i've i'm forgetting her name right now but it was over twitter and realized she was right i i had i had not quite got i i had not handled something as sensitively as i could have and i want to make it clear that it's not like I don't think any of us just ignore feedback altogether. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it's hard not to. I, I think that the way you present that feedback, the way that you try to approach and the intention that you have when you present that feedback, what you're actually uh, uh, trying to do, all is important too. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, obviously we're, we're talking about Facebook in the context of uh, creators and people reacting to the thing that we're trying to put out there. And, you know, in that sense, the best advice I ever got was, was listen yeah. with one yeah. ear, you know, like stay true to what you know and what you're trying to do and, but, but be teachable and be corrected. Just don't get swayed by the people who praise you and don't get swayed by the people who hate you. I mean, yeah, like, you know, one John the, Acuff's line is don't believe the top 10% or the bottom 10%. Yeah. Interesting. And that's helpful because he says neither of them are telling you the truth. The top 10% isn't probably telling you the truth and the bottom 10% isn't either. But that 20 to 90, you need to listen to or 10 to 90, you need to listen to. Question. What if the bottom 10% is also what the rest of the 90% sounds like? Can I sort of round down? <laughs> this is hypothetical. Grade with a yeah. curve. You're fine. Yeah. If they I all believe love the me, 10% can I believe on Facebook, yes. that is my mom. And that's the only ones that that's the only <laughs> voice that matters. No, but there's also kind of like the the saying in in not just journalism or, or writing, but I think kind of like in a lot of art in general, like if some people don't really, really love it, but also a certain amount of people really, really hate it or really, really bothered by it, then you might not be doing something right. Because in in addition to creating something that's like um that really draws the affection and admiration of people. There should be some people who, um, you know, are, have things in themselves that are exposed in a good way that should challenge people and should challenge ideas and be willing to ruffle some feathers sometimes, um, and not play it too safe. And so, um, but like I said, if, if people feel like it's better for them to not have it in their life or at least not have it in their hand, on their phone, then I think, hey, it's probably a good decision. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'm glad I have it. I'm in like a soccer group in Nashville that we that are all Arsenal fans that I love reading the articles they post and keeping up with my friends' kids. And I, I'm glad I have it. I'm just glad it doesn't have access to me all the time. You know, time. sometimes, Annie, when I have trouble falling asleep at night, this is a real story. You know, I get on Facebook and I start reading about Arsenal or anything really about soccer, and I am out like a light, just, <laughs> just <laughs> snoring. <laughs> soccer, <laughs> final score one zero. <laughs> out like a baby. Okay, I brought- <laughs> Jesse, this is big news. This is real. You know, I want to support the hometown team for four years. I've had Orlando City yeah. season tickets, and did not renew for next year. Oh, you didn't. I found that I was giving away all the tickets and I would never felt like going. And they had a bad year this year. They didn't, not even that. It's soccer. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's just like, I, it's just not, I couldn't get into it. I tried my best. I gave it four years. I gave him all my all. You gave it a whole high school career. It's just, it didn't take. And I'm just going, you know what? I'm going to be me and I love basketball and I'm good. So that's it. So I'm all in. But yeah, I'm letting him go. Sad to hear that. Yeah. 
Yeah. It seems like anytime I've like casually watched it, there's only one or two goals that I actually get to see. And at least one of those was an accident on somebody's part. <laughs> <laughs> you're even starting to talk like you're trying to make us fall asleep. You're like no. leaning into your microphone. You're like, one of them is an accident. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're watching like five-year-olds play soccer, if that's the case. I mean, no. I have been watching five-year-olds play soccer. Yeah, I was going to say, is your son on a soccer team? Soccer, but, uh, I, those, I games, like, those games score like 50 points. So Having gone for four years <laughs> and whatever, like I get it. I really do get it. I get the fandom. I get the... The, the chanting and I get the buildup and the, and then the, the craziness that happens when there's a goal because you've been waiting so long for it. And it's just such, you know, I get it. I get the emotion of it. I just don't care, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. it's not I'm for totally everybody. Okay. Well, I'll keep this one short, but I did want to uh, uh, bring this, you know, we're talking about ways to live a longer life. Scientists have found uh, a, a really interesting thing that everyone could incorporate into your life that they believe will actually live to much longer lifespans, uh, lifespans, fasting. Um, and oh. so I've seen studies like this in the past where they've looked at communities who regularly fast and found that they are generally way, way healthier. But the only problem is like a lot of times that's, uh, there's a correlative relationship with data points that don't necessarily make it the most sound research. So like if you're looking at like, let's say you only, you want to look at people who fast regularly, you have to find a community like Mormons or something or, or um, you know, Muslims at Ramadan who are generally both those groups are relatively clean living anyway. So it's like, you don't know if it's the fasting that's making them live longer or abstaining from, from certain things. But scientists for this study did something a little bit different to show um, how the, the health effects of, of fasting in mice. They gave mice like a bunch of different groups, like a different frequency of meals. And the ones that only ate one meal a day lived much, much longer and were much, much less susceptible to uh, some of these like chronic diseases. So you're talking so, like a daily fast, situ- like, a yeah, inter- like intermittent like, fasting, like I think inter- they call intermittent it. intermittent fasting, that new... F- thing everyone's doing yeah yeah exactly like regular going regular regularly going long amounts of time without any food is evidently really really good for you Mm. um so but i i mean i kind of like the mouse idea just eating one enormous meal a day like a one two hour meal just to carry me over to the intermittent faster are you yeah yeah i try to keep all my meals to like one eight hour window I, i haven't eaten today yet uh so like then you have eight hours to try to get the calories in uh, that like that one eight hour block. Is, is that for like health reasons or for like schedule reasons? It, it's for health reasons. I stopped I, I stopped doing breakfast and started doing my first lunch around like usually around now, like one or two o'clock. My in the afternoon. first lunch? Started doing my first meal, my like lunch. Oh, I was like, wow. <laughs> and then I, but then I do, then the, here's the thing. Then I do seven lunches before I go to right, bed. So I'm right. not sure. I've gained about 50 pounds over the past three weeks. If someone wants to explain what I'm doing wrong. I'll say this. I've, you know, I have type two, di- my the diabetes, my metabolism's all off, but I'm in for the ride and see where this thing goes. <laughs> Dude, if I were to go like more than if I if I did one meal a day for a couple of days, I think I would be super super grumpy. I don't. I just. Yeah. I, I don't know if it'd be worth the long term health benefits. You right. know, but. it wasn't fun at first, but it's a lot. But I feel like my body's adjusted over the past like six months now. I can I can attest to you, Jesse, that that I mean, like uh, literally, there's a certain point in the day where one of our team members will always ask me. Have you eaten? 
You know, like before we get into these next round of meetings, she just wants to make sure there's food in yeah, you. She, because, you go, yeah, uh, no, I have it, but who puts it to you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not to you. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, because I, I forget to eat. Yeah. I mean, our days are packed. We're pulled into a million things, blah, blah, blah. And then I look up, it's like 3 30. I'm going, oh, I am. Merriam Webster added you know, hangry like, to the dictionary this year. Oh, oh, is that your slice? No, that's just my knowledge. That, that's, that's, just, what's up. that's just free. <laughs> that one's on the house. Angry. I'm official. I like it. Yeah. All right. There you go. All right. What do you have, Tyler? All right. So this is a, a story. This is an international slice. Um, as it turns out, there was... <laughs> you know, that's what, hey, that's every time I walk into Sabaro. <laughs> international slice. Please, I love when Jesse starts giggling when you say things like that just to himself. That feels like my greatest accomplishment. I'll take the international, please. One slice. <laughs> Buy the slice. And, and they just stare at you and just give you a pepperoni and be like, from Italy. You're actually, you beat me to the punch because this is a, this is a pizza related <gasps> slice. Ooh, oh, good. well done. Oh, wow. I just want to make sure that I, I, I wrote down the right note before we started recording. You said, Hey, when I bring my slice, can y'all act interested? Right. Oh. We haven't even gotten into it. Okay, yet. I, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. Okay. So we're ready. Here we go. I, yeah, got, I got a good slice. nap then when Annie briefly mentioned soccer. So you're good. <laughs> I will convert you. I have one life goal, Jesse. I'm going to get you. you got a power, I got a power snooze then when I heard Arsenal come up. Oh, man, I'm getting drowsy. I'm, I'm totally refreshed now, though, Tyler. Jump in. So, All right. So uh, over in Russia, Domino's Pizza offered a, they, there was a campaign where if you get the Domino's logo tattooed on your body, no. they will give you pizza for the rest of your life. Wait, wait, hold on. For the rest of your life, this is for the rest like of a your year. Life, just 100 for a pizzas per year for <gasps> the next 100 years. Oh wow. my gosh. A, a hundred pizza every a three days? That's two pizzas, pizzas a week. So they're they're betting that if you eat that much pizza, you're not going to make it very long. So you're, yeah. fi- you're yeah. but yeah. I will say this: I, I think theoretically, I don't know how many calories. I mean, someone can do the calculations, but so a uh, hundred pieces a year. Let's say you're eating an entire pizza. Um, a normal cheese pizza slice is around 400 calories. Add your toppings. So you're I, I guess. I guess my question is: Could you live entirely eight, on that? Eight yeah, slices sure per large pizza. You're at four to 3,200 calories, 2,000 calories a day, normal, a large pizza, cheese, minimal would be 3,200 calories. Okay. Literally, Corey Asbury would never go to the grocery store again if he got this between the Chick-fil-A black card and the Domino's <laughs> tattoo. That would be his whole life. If he had unlimited Domino's and unlimited Chick-fil-A, Corey Asbury is going to live to be 33. I mean, like there's no, <laughs> his heart can't, no heart so, can handle so that. So here's the question. Would any of you do it? Hey, well, what's the, is there any stipulations on the tattoo? Like how big? That's the question, right? That's, that, that's a great question. Where where does it it have to be? It does not look per my, like, this is all via Google Translate. Uh, It it doesn't look like there was a stipulation about, so if you wanted it to be like on your back or something, I don't think they, I I don't, I don't think there's a stipulation. A Domino's tramp stamp. Can you even imagine a worse (laughs) idea? I can't imagine because I'm also looking at the Instagram and I'll tell you guys this. The next day, Domino sent out another notice saying they have 
canceled the promotion oh. because too many people took <gasps> 350 people on the first since it was announced to come wow. up on it. You can't do that. You can't cancel when they already got permanent tattoos. They gave, they gave it to the people they who got it. They honored the ones who got they, it. They yeah. honored the okay. ones who got Gosh. it. But they were going to, it was going to go for a month. It went for 24 hours. Actually, some people got some pretty, as far as Domino's logo tattoos go, people got pretty creative with it. Some of them are okay. So, they're, I mean, none of them are good. It's still a Domino's logo, but people made the best of a bad tattoo. I, I will say this, man. If it was a different, if it was like, um, I was, I could, I could rattle off some restaurants that if it was a hundred meals a year for free, that I would definitely oh, sure. consider. Okay, go. You know? Where? Um, I would, I, I would do Chipotle. I, I would, would do, Chipotle. do, um, I would probably even go Taco Bell. I would definitely do Chick Fil A. I consider Wendy's. Um, I I don't even like Arby's, but their logo, that old you know saloon cowboy hat, that's a pretty dope (laughs) tattoo. So I'd probably throw that on the list. Um, They wouldn't even need to give you any food for it. You're just gonna have like a random Chinese. I would do Panda Express. I would do. uh, Your body would look like a NASCAR jacket. You you would you would just have logos all over your back. yeah, I would have a full sleeve. I would have a, a full sleeve. sleeve of fast food restaurants. That's exactly what I you'd would have. Ta- I would tattoo Chick Fil A on my face for a uh, lifetime okay. of Chick Fil A. Cameron, are there uh, any that you would that do? Kind of stuff. A hundred for life meals every day, or a hundred for the rest of your life, Cameron. Is there any that you would do? Chipotle for no. No, I don't have any tattoos. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's no food that I would love enough to to brand myself with it. No, Annie. Sorry. I love tattoos. And so I would, in a heartbeat, I would do, I would probably do Chipotle if they told, I mean, we're still waiting on a black card for me (laughs) from Chipotle, but I would, I would tattoo a little Chipotle on my arm or tramp stamp or something so that I can get free, a hundred free meals in a year. That's incredible. It's a lot of it that you could really, you could make it work. So you never yeah. have to buy yeah, groceries Chipotle's again. not going to kill you quite as quickly as like uh, three pizzas. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Like pizza has very little nutritional value, at least with. <laughs> and it's and you're hard talking to, get to someone who eats terribly, you know, like yeah. even I recognize that's probably a poor life decision to make. And do you know what else? I kind of love Jersey Mike's. They're kind of like my guilty pleasure sub sandwich. I get it. Yeah. And so their and their logo lives up to every part of it being a guilty pleasure. They could maybe talk me into it. If it could be small. Yeah. Wow. I'm shocked. There's I'm one of them. Shocked. There's one Instagram on here of a, they did, this is a good one. It's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sitting around with a box of dominoes open. So it has oh, the dominoes logo right there. Yeah. It's pretty that's cool. Brilliant. It's pretty, it's, it's a good looking tattoo. You're shocked at us, Cameron? Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, just, I mean, it's just fast food. It's not like you're talking like, you know, life changing, you know, uh, you know, like, uh, experiences or things you can't afford. It's just right, fast like, food. You're not like getting Michelin star well, that tattoos. Wasn't the question. That's what I'm saying. You're not like you're not getting like I mean, this is just common food that you can you can easily afford to just have as much as you want as it is. Angry and bougie. That's who you are. Yeah, I was you know, I was gonna say uh, you could factor in a hundred Domino's pizzas a year. It probably wouldn't be that much money. Like if you were gonna tell me like that, if I got a Delta logo, I could fly for free for the rest of my life. Well, yeah, I would. Oh, I get sure. a big old Delta logo. Sure. You know what I'm saying? I do but that. But like, this, this is something I can't afford to do, and it would it would change my life for the better. You guys are talking about like branding yourself for something that just like okay, here's six dollars of a burrito. You, do you know how? Okay, here's the thing. Do you know how? Do you know how intellectually satisfying it is to fill a punch card for any any fast food <laughs> establishment, anything <laughs> that is punch card related, like. 
Even though it's like, this is going to save me like eight bucks. Like this is in no way, but walking up to the register register with a fully punched card and handing it to them, a subway card stamped up, you know, there's something that that six inch sub of the day meatball is going to taste a little bit better that day because you feel like you're being <laughs> the system a little. That's very true. That's right. You know what I mean? Like... I don't know. It just for some reason that those pizzas for those people are going to taste a little bit better than everybody else's Domino's, in my opinion. That's right. That's right. Domino's they paid for it in blood. Literally, they paid for it in blood and skin. Hey, uh, what do you have, Annie? Well, let's stay down the line of things that are kind of bougie that I'm kind of into. Um, there's a hotel in Japan. So this is also an international slice. Tyler Huckabee. Yep. There is a hotel in Japan, the Hinna Hotel, east of Tokyo, that no longer has humans working behind the counter. There are robots now that check people in that are the uh, front desk staff, but they are like Jurassic Park looking T-Rexes. <laughs> they are dinosaurs that what? check people into the hotel. through. A, they do it through a tablet system, but they also can pick which language the Robot dinosaur will speak back to them. And so they can, these particular ones do Japanese, English, Chinese, or Korean. So you say, you type into the um, tablet which language you want your dinosaur robot front desk person to speak to you. And they do. And so they, that's how you check into the hotel. Isn't that insane? Cameron, isn't this kind of close to your dream of a, Interactionless transaction world. Yeah, I, I literally don't want to talk to anybody ever when I'm traveling. <laughs> what about AI or what about AI or robots? <sighs> Why do I have to talk to a robot? Just do the thing. Okay, yeah. Cameron, you're gonna love this hotel because not only it's not only those front desk robots, every room has is staffed with mini robots that look like a spherical BB eight and they help you change channels, play music. And then even the fish in the tank in the lobby are battery operated. Okay. <laughs> I don't want fish. a robot in my room. Then yeah, I would just be like, go I, got a pervy, I got a pervy robot in here. Get a, you know, I don't I need some privacy. I don't need a movie. robot rolling around. Yeah. Thank right? you. It's still funny though. I mean, I still think it'd be, I mean, I wouldn't mind walking into the room and the robot being there to greet me. And then I just ask him nicely to leave. What if, what if you wake up in the middle of the night and the robot's standing at the ed- edge of your bed just staring at you? For then sure they do. Fun and games is over. No question they do. It's terrifying. I feel like it's just, I feel like never in history have we had so many warnings about do not entertain the idea of AI. Do not, there's no, no good could come of this. We've, we know about it. Our parents knew about it. Our parents' parents knew about it. And today's scientists, today's idiot scientists forge ahead <laughs> as if there'd been no, mo- no, as if not, as if 30% of the movies that came out over the past 50 years didn't exist. Well, here's the yeah. thing. Not only this, the, the gall of these scientists to not only make robots that are like basically servants for, you know, hotel customers, but they're robot dinosaurs. This is taunting. This is taunting God, you're inviting, basically. You're inviting. This is this was put together by an evil one of the bad guys. Who's like, no. He's like, I had a great idea. Let's make let's make robots that can watch people in their rooms and let's make them look and act like dinosaurs. Uh, uh, have, that might, have you heard of this uh, Star Wars t- uh, hotel that's coming? Like, no, what, is oh. it coming to Orlando? Yeah, yeah, they're building a you know they're building a huge Star Wars land you know down at Disney or whatever, 
And uh, they announced that as part of the, an extension of that, they're going to be doing a Star Wars hotel where, okay, and, and here's the thing, you're talking about robots and AI and stuff like that. They keep like the local, you know, business uh, sites, you know, they keep kind of like whenever Disney will like file for a new patent or something like that, they kind of like scrounge it up and like, what are they up to, you know? And uh, they keep filing, filing patents for like interactive AI stuff for like the Star Wars land where the droids, the actual autonomous robotic droids will kind of know you and like <gasps> interact with you. And if you're staying at the har- at the Star Wars hotel, you, when you check in, are assigned, you are a oh, character nice. within a story. And the story plays out where the staff and droids and your room, like you're almost on a inside a live your own adventure thing. And then when you go to the Star Wars land in the park, like it continues and like the droids and the people will know you and where you are in the story and your character and all this kind of stuff. And I'm kind of going, I, 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 when I travel, I want to go to National Rent a Car because I can go to the aisle and I don't have to talk to a human. I just yeah, get in a car yeah. and drive away. I stay at Starwood Hotels because I, when I get to the hotel, my watch gets an alert of what room I'm staying in and now my watch is the key. I don't have to talk to anybody. I just do my thing. The last thing I'd want to do, checking into hotel, is that now robots yeah. and every staff member are aware of me and interacting mm-hmm. with me wherever I go. Well, That I, is stressful. Do, do, you, do you get to pick your story? Like, or you're, I don't know. what kind of character you are. Yeah, like I, I think I haven't released because if be I like did, Han Solo? if I did, no, you're not I would that. definitely <laughs> you are, be. I would definitely. No, no, be no like, it's a new Star Wars world. It's like it, the the land isn't like from one of the movies. It's like a new yeah. world in the Star Wars. Lexi- no, but, you know, but can I universe. say like, hey, I want to be a bad guy. Make me then that way because that way I can like go down to the hotel store and just like shoplift stuff. You know, and, isn't and this just like that show like, in there? In their show like this, I'll be like, no big deal. Hey, listen, I'm on the dark side, guys, so don't worry. That's part of the story. I'm gonna steal <laughs> I can all steal this stuff. stuff. Yeah, this does sound a little Westworldy. Yeah, oh. and I can see why some of the Star Wars, like Star Wars fans, would be super into this. I I, I get it, but and, and I don't. I'm not even as opposed to interacting with people when I travel as I think y'all are. I'm just not interested. Yeah. I, I, I like making either. small talk. I like making small talk with, yeah, with yeah. people. I'm a, I'm a chatty guy, and I like and I like Star Wars just fine. This just sounds like a mix of too many things. I'm like kind of okay with mixed into one big ball of nope. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, Cameron, me, I was engaged in a fascinating conversation with a guy at Jersey Mike's about bacon the other day, and Cameron acted like he didn't even wasn't even here. I'm like, look, yeah, this yeah. is a fascinating little, uh, you know. <laughs> Convo here. What were y'all talking and about? I, bacon? Wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known if I didn't engage the. What person. was your hot take on the bacon, Jesse? What was the conversation? Because you know how I feel about giant, Jersey Mike's. They had a giant thing of bacon, right? A giant me. pile of bacon, just a huge pile of bacon. And I and I and I commented on it, and he said that they've actually had to cook bacon twice today. And I thought hypothetically, if someone were to come here and just want to buy all of the bacon. Because it was a lot of bacon and it looked delicious. <laughs> Would he sell them? And he had to think about it, but he said uh, everything in this store has a price. And wow. <laughs> he said, he said to fair. Jesse as I was walking out the door because I couldn't get out there fast enough. <laughs> he said to Jesse, he said, "That's her four on the wall." Same price. If Cameron had to walk like, out, I probably would have gotten down the road on this thought of experiment so far that I would know how much that giant pile of bacon would cost for yeah. me to leave with. Yeah. You know, yeah. but Cameron acted like you know 
I'm just saying, Cameron, that you got to stop and smell the roses sometimes. You got to talk to these people. You don't know what kind of fascinating things you're going to get into. Right. He's he's a chit chatter. I mean, he's like he's sitting on a plane. He just wants to get to know the person next to him. Call you, Jesse, you talk to your plane neighbors sometimes. Depending yes. if, they, if they look reasonably interesting. Why not strike up a convo? Oh, God, you never know where it's going to end up. I, I'm not usually into it, but I've had some interesting conversations. Or sometimes really? they'll like, you know, that they end up. I don't know, being interesting. Not often, but it's happened. Yeah, I don't talk to people on planes. The moment I parked the car at the airport, headphones on, the headphones come off when I get to my hotel in whatever city I was traveling to. Like, I do not talk to a human the entire time I travel. Okay, so a, a podcast listener walks up and taps you on the shoulder. You'll, like, speak to them. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I can turn it on. Yeah. I just don't want to talk to anybody. I, I think at, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to get to an age at some point where I'm the guy just that, that goes up to the hardware store and just hangs out. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like buy a couple nuts and bolts that are a few cents each, but I don't really have anything to do. I'm just wandering around, you know, leaning up against the, you know, pile of lumber, chatting it up with yeah. whoever forking in the, the, the lumber yard that day. You know, Dude, those guys. I, I moved to a new neighborhood and there's an ace hardware on the corner of the neighborhood spot. There is a guy in there all the time like yeah. that. He knows everybody. He's kind of like the king of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He's just there. He doesn't work there. He's just That's hanging. the thing, man. I got to know the scuttlebutt. I got to know what's yeah. happening around the hood. And the only way to really do that, one, I troll next door a lot, like the app. I've, yeah. I talk Dude, about this like, all the time. I know every dog that's gotten loose in this neighborhood. And I've let a few loose. Just to, I've let a few loose. <laughs> I know about Shady. I know everything when it comes to next door. But also, I, I'm, a, I'm a chatty fellow. You know, uh, you know, the school just started back. So now everyone's walking around in the morning. It's going to the bus stop. So that's a great time to catch up on, on the gossip. Oh you you gosh, check your mail at the right time. My... If you know what I mean? You can bump Jesse, into some people. How does your, how does your son like kindergarten? By the oh, way, he loves it. He, he, he thinks it's the greatest yeah. thing in the world. Yeah. He thinks the school bus <laughs> is legit. He's made friends with everybody. He comes by it honest. Huh? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's how, that's how we roll. That's how, you know, we're personable people. <laughs> we're personable people. <laughs> I just moved into a neighborhood for the first time that has the ability that has next door. And That's I right, you moved. It. It's you moved. How how yeah. did all that go? Oh, it's fine. Moving's terrible, but everybody survived it, right? We all lived through it. What part of town are you in now, Annie? Uh Green Hills. Okay, Cameron Cameron, does your new does your new location have next door? His, <laughs> yeah, actually I literally got something in the mail. That's that from the neighbor, oh, yeah. some of the neighborhood, whatever, of inviting us to the neighborhood next door group. Like that's, a how, well, that's how you get on there. They got it. No, no, no. Like it was like, it was like, it was literally like a postcard that they sent out to the whole neighborhood and just, Hey, everybody, let's get on next door and use our neighborhood code to like find I each hope, other. You know, I that hope, kind of thing. Hopefully you signed up. I did not. I did not sign up. You're I don't want to know go. Barb and Tom. And I mean, I, you know, I have a very friendly neighborhood. It's a Jesse Carey neighborhood. Everybody's well, I, Hey, I'm looking. Uh, let me just say this, Cameron. This is what you're missing. I have one subject line, potential predator in the neighborhood. Guess who gets uh, guess who now knows about this? You. I, exactly. And I will be giving my two cents about who I think this predator happens to be. <laughs> my and uh, I will be naming names, giving addresses and pointing fingers. I am, <laughs> I am living. I, everybody who everybody who lives around me is nicest people in the world. Nicest people. And they're always out walking their dogs or jogging or whatever. Everybody's out all the time. Okay. They're all super nice. The problem is a year, you know, nine months ago when I moved in, the first time we interacted, they introduced themselves. We exchanged names. They walk by now and go, Hey, Cameron. 
And I'm like, "Eh." and I can't ask their name anymore. So I literally avoid them because I don't know their names. It's going to resolve itself at Christmas when you get Christmas cards. Yeah, or you do. You just wake up really early and peep in everyone's mailboxes and try to, you know, look. That's at true. Hey, in my that's last a, neighborhood, I literally option. did that with my next door neighbor. They were there for seven years that I was there, and our kids played together, and I did not know their names, and so I literally looked at their mail. Wow, I did that. Yeah, and he's calling the guy Vincent forever, and no one's ever called him anything but Vinny. It was really weird. Cameron's really formal guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well that'll do it for slices. Uh, stay tuned. Up next, Mark Foster, Foster the People joins us. You're listening to Mr. Twin Sister. This song is Echo Arms. I like weird names like Mr. Twin Sister. <laughs> At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Muse with their new one, The Dark Side. Well, their latest album, Sacred Hearts Club, has propelled indie pop band Foster the People back to the top of the global charts, led by the breakout single, Sit Next to Me. We recently spoke with frontman Mark Foster for a surprisingly emotional interview about what inspired the album how his personal faith led to some creative breakthroughs and why they feel passionate about using their platform for good. Here's part of our conversation with Mark Foster of Foster the People. to talk a little bit about i know you guys are, are playing a lot of festivals and things this summer and i saw a couple clips floating around of uh, yeah it was a couple different shows actually that people were posting on twitter where at different points you took some time to address the crowd and you know had kind of a message just about the importance of loving each other and you know kind of uh, you know, hinting at issues like the kind of politically divisive culture we're in and gun violence. Can you tell me a little bit about why, you know, you kind of want to use your platform to kind of get that message across? You know, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Um, I, you know, I feel like music is, is this beautiful medium that has the ability to unify people. Mm. And, and I think for myself and for a band, I mean, it was something that we that was it was an idea that we started the band around i mean hence the band name even but it's just something that's important to us just to bring people together um and i feel like the last couple years more than ever people are divided Mm. and you know pumped up kicks being the first song that really put us on the map um became this huge talking point obviously because of the content what the song was about and um i think you know as a byproduct of that song becoming, you know, kind of a, a global song for us, has stuck us in the center of the conversation of of gun reform, gun violence, um, 
isolation, you know, teen angst and all those things yeah. to where, you know, I mean, I, I, I wrote that song in response to what I saw happening back then. And I, and I knew that things were going to get worse before they got better. And, um, I, I, I never, I never pictured or asked for or thought that I would have a platform to be able to speak on something like that, but it kind of naturally happened over time. And so, you know, for me, you know, the last, the festivals that we played, um, a couple weeks ago happened, the first festival happened on the day of the shooting in Texas Oh wow! and, um, and then the festival that we played two days after it was, you know, two days after that shooting and after, and one day after a shooting that happened in Georgia. And it's something that it's something that we're, that we care about, something that we're passionate about. And I think that artists have a duty, um, to speak culturally. I think that, you know, artists throughout the history of time, have always been at the forefront of social change. They've always been a voice, um, whether it's against or whether it's for something. And, you know, we're one of the only few people that don't have, have to rely on um, a corporation or lobbyists or voters or other people that have say over our message. You know, our message can come purely from us. And I think that there's a huge freedom in that. And I also think there's a responsibility in that to speak from the heart and to not be afraid of backlash because we're one of the only, we're, we're some of the only people that can speak, whether there's backlash or not. It's, we, we, we have the freedom to be able to speak at least, you know, what, what I think, what, what, what my truth is. Yeah. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, I take that seriously, and, and and really, my message over this last year, and it's 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 changed. You know, as times change and as as the environment changes, I'm obviously changing with it, and and trying to really kind of stay tuned and stay plugged into how things are evolving and changing. And right now, I think the biggest thing that I want to say is just that you know, this division, at least in the U.S. Um, is, is 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 really ripping our country apart and i think that people i think it's like people i want to remind people that we're human and that we're that even if you disagree with somebody on politics that and that's okay you know yeah. but that doesn't mean don't to, to you know to, to encourage people to not choose party over humanity that yeah. i find that people people are are being so loyal to their party to a fault to where to where they they're, they're they're completely closing their their eyes and their ears to anything that doesn't um completely agree with what their party tells them to agree with mm. and and i think that you know um i don't know it's just it's very hard for me to watch um yeah. because i think if we continue down this path it's almost like we're living in two different countries yeah. you know we're, we're living in the divided states of america we're not living in the united states of america and to me like love Listening, empathy, um, and really reaching our hands across to uh, to each other, especially people that we don't understand, especially people that we disagree with, to, to start listening to what they have to say and and treat them with respect that they're they are a human being that you know that they're intelligent 
that at the end of the day, everybody's trying to do what's right. It's not like one side is evil and one side's good. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of resonated why those videos were so refreshing to watch because there's a real earnestness there when, when, when you kind of address the crowd. And I feel like that earnestness is very evident in the music too. There's a lot of joy there. And in especially this last album, there there's some real earnest moments. I wanted to talk about particularly one song, the one you closed the record with, uh, Three, where it seems to, you know, have kind of spiritual undertones to it. Can you talk a little bit about where that song comes from? Because it's such a beautiful song, but it also is, feels kind of vulnerable compared to a lot of those songs on the record. Well, I mean, to be totally honest with that song, I mean, that, that, well, that song started with Isom, my bandmate. He started that song and, and he had it kicking around for a little bit. Um, and I was like, you know what? Like, hold that, hold that. I really want to work on that with you. And I really want that to be a Foster the People song. Mm. And um, and we were up one night working on this record and we were working on that song and, and we got into this long, big conversation about death, mm. life and death, not in a morbid way, but basically in a like, if something were to happen, to one of us, what would you want the other person to do? Mm. Like, if, if, I, if, if I die first, like, this is what, like, I would want you to do. And, and he, you know, kind of gave me his wishes of, like, because, and this all stemmed from, you know, Isom was born with a heart, um, with a heart uh, defect and had mm. to have open heart surgery when he was a newborn and then open heart surgery again when he was 19 years old. And so he has like a fake valve that he can hear clicking throughout the day. You can hear it. Oh, wow. And, you know, and has to monitor that and be on medicine and really keep an eye on it, you know? And it's and it's really affected the way that he lives his, I think, views his life just as, as it would anybody, you know, because it's, he had to face death I think very young and and what then the beautiful beautiful thing that come that, that has come out of that is that this guy has got like the biggest heart of anybody I've ever met and he lives his life he lives every day like it's his last yeah. he does puts his passion and his vote his, his entire life and his entire everything into whatever he does and um and so that song three if age is a trap um, I wonder why I hold back. You know, those, those are the opening lines. It's just about, you know, we're, we're, we're born, we only have a limited amount of time on life. Like, why on earth would we hold back anything? Because we've got this, like, gift, you know, and we yeah. don't know how much time we have. And, and so that, that kind of spurned this conversation between the two of us. And it was this really deep moment um, going into the bridge and that's like when I wrote, wrote the bridge to that song like I won't be afraid um, we never know when the night will come to take us home you know don't slip away I'm begging you and it's like me talking to God because I was really going through something at that moment too you know struggling with, with some stuff that um, you know struggling with addiction stuff and um, was just in this it was a very honest vulnerable moment conversation with God it's just like I know that we're not close right now but that doesn't mean that I don't want to be close to you and and if something were to happen and if I were to die now I hope 
that I'll be able to spend the rest of my time with you. I hope that I'm not that I haven't that I'm not so far away that you'll turn your back on me. Wow. And so it was kind of it was a very it was really hard for me. I mean, man, I sang that so many times. I had someone in the control room and I was on the microphone in the live room and and it was just the two of us in the studio and it took a lot of times for me to be able to get through that bridge vocally without crying because you know and it would just stop and there would just be silence between us and it was kind of awkward actually because it was so it was so emotional and so real and we just wouldn't you know I would just I'd get choked up and I'd stop singing and he'd stop the song and and then he'd you know I'd basically like gather myself and he'd press record again and I would try to get through it because it's just you know it really did come from just a, a, a spiritual place of of um I guess just the, the deep, deep core, um, or like our deep core. I don't, I, I, it's, I don't even know how to put words to it, but just, yeah. you know, just those, the, those deep questions that are really hard to ask. Mark Foster. Hey, make sure to go check out the profile, the feature article we did on Foster the People and the brand new issue of Relevant. It's available now. You can check it out at relevantmagazine.com. listening to Yumi Zuma. The song is in camera. Okay, it is time for your listener feedback. Last week, uh, we got talking about Heritage, and he went and bought a book about mine. Yes, and, yes, uh, I did. And I read it, because I'm the best member of this family. <laughs> you very much are. Uh, uh, you and I wouldn't yell at each other at a Christmas party, a friend's Christmas party in the kitchen and make it awkward for everybody over politics. I mean, no. you are the best member of this family. No, we wouldn't. Everybody gets along with Annie. You guys, uh, we asked you, uh, what weird thing have you learned about your own family history or what thing, you know, what have you learned that stood out to you? You guys hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast. You also posted on the podcast episode page, relevantmagazine.com. Here are a few of our favorites. Well, this, this one's pretty interesting. This is from Dustin. He said, I'm related to the guy who invented the revolver, but not Samuel <gasps> Colt as uh, history asserts, you know, like the Colt 45. Um, yeah, yeah. The inventor, uh, Joseph Shrink, sold his invention to Colt because a gun was against his conviction. He was a Mennonite pacifist. That's super interesting. I, I think someone would have to, you know, fact check that. But it's I, I don't. I've I've heard I've heard this story before. Uh, the story of of Joseph Shirk and uh, and the invention. I, I don't know how factual. I don't know all the details, but I but I've heard this bit of trivia. The, the, you know, the other most fascinating family history of gunmakers is the the Winchester widow. 
Do you guys know that story? No. No. So the widow, Tell me everything. the widow of uh, basically whatever the first guy's not, first guy's name is is Winchester. Um, mm-hmm. After he died, she became obsessed with the idea that anyone because his guns were used in you know one of the early American wars, not not like World War Two, but like you know French and Indian War or something. Anyway. Um, it, it, it wasn't just used for like hunting. It was legit used as like a weapon. She had this idea that everyone who had died by her husband's weapons was going to, um, haunt her unless she built them a space in her home. There is a house in, I think it's San Francisco that has, it, it's the most rooms in like any house in America. She kept building, she never stopped construction on the house uh, for like, it's something like 50 years or something. And it has like weird um, like staircases that end in a room that lead to nowhere, like doors that lead to nowhere. It's not like a hotel. It's just this sprawling maze of weird rooms and places that she never stopped building her whole life because of that. And you can go tour it oh right now, gosh. but it is really, if you ever want to go down a deep internet rabbit hole, look up the Winchester house. Oh, that is so weird. And I'm so thankful. You know that. I think the weirdest thing in our history is King Strang who yeah. took over Beaver Island in Michigan and tried to declare it autonomous land, not of the United States. He um, was a polygamist. I know of him. He named himself King and he named the city St. James after himself. Yeah. And he then became a U.S. Senator and a spiritual leader because he was Mormon. And he, went around collecting, demanding tithe door to door from his followers. And then he survived an assassination attempt. His followers revolted against him and shot him like 10 times. He lived for 10 more days. I think they shot him and then beat him. They thought he was dead. And then he ended up up living 10 more days. I mean, this dude's fascinating. King Strang, Beaver Island. Anyway, he's creepy be looking, though. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah. well, you got some strang. creepy faces in your history, Cameron. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And they all led up to this. Yeah. They yeah. all combined to make you guys. If you ever want to like, that the, the, if you ever look at the Winchester Mystery House, I think it even has a Wikipedia uh, entry. But it's insane. There's so many weird articles on it. Um, he's in the chapter about the unsavory characters in the family history. Unsavory. Oh. Kurt Cameron, King Strang, Lord Cameron, King Strang, my son, my son Chandler. <laughs> as unsavory as they get. He has a tattoo. There are a lot of books about him, about King Strang. Uh, Ryan says, in the 1800s, my ancestor on my maternal grandmother's sides, uh, oh gosh, um, got caught philandering in England. He immigrated to America to try to escape the wrath of lovers, friends, and families. Yikes. <laughs> this is, this is, uh, talk about unsafe. changing the rating, rating of our show today. Uh, on the boat over here, he decided to change his name and in ca- just in case anyone had tracked it down. This guy left a trail of broken hearts in addition to a shamed family. Yep. He chose Jones to replace his given surname, Dew. My generation and my mom's generation think it's hilarious. And one year, someone named our annual gathering Joneses, the do, uh, annual gathering of Joneses. They called it the do reunion. My grandmother would have none of it and is still embarrassed, <laughs> embarrassed by her great, great grandfather's sense. Your grandmother still doesn't have a sense of humor about Mr. Do. Who Listen, you- I have a similar story in the Downs family. Oh. Are you ready? My okay. mother 
went back. Cameron, you're going to love this. My mother went back and made a bunch of us do blood, like the blood testing for your DNA. Oh, yeah. Because she had traced it all back. And she goes back and like maybe my dad's grandfather or whatever did not test with the surname Downs. His blood matches the neighbor's surname. So, and no one knew, right? Uh Oh, right. Right. This is, this is a more. So this was the Maury Povich. This <laughs> yeah, was the yeah, more. Yeah, you right. are oh not the Downs. <laughs> but nobody knew back then. Or if they did, they didn't tell. And so for generations, oh we have actually been this. I think it's the Hogan family. And so whenever my dad does something that he thinks is really funny, even though he is a Downs, obviously, my dad does something really funny. He's like, oh, that's the Hogan blood in me. <laughs> out there just living their lives thinking like they don't they never think to go get a dna test right. or, or match with anybody like and like I, generations I ago somebody had an affair with their neighbor and had my great-grandfather or whatever and nobody oh. knew until oh pam came along till my mom everything. came along and changed everything she's blowing open oh the doors of the family closets goodness. full of skeletons I'll tell you this. This has cast my entire, all my assumptions about my own legacy into severe doubt. You better go back. You better go no. back are and you do like some nothing, testing. Are you nothing like your family, Tyler? I, I'm fine with them, but now that I know how common it is, it just seems almost a given that something doesn't add up. Right. I, I'll just say this. Let me say this. I, I, in lieu of leading around more, a lot of people have people in their family who have poisoned entire arms of the family tree and oh, um, yeah. no. oh my goodness yeah oh yeah it gets real out there that makes me not want to look you know like uh-huh. not love, uh-huh. it's just like you know i don't know what my ancestors did uh, i assume they were all crazy outlaws and i will just take that with me you know because some of these are like oh my gosh this these people you know it makes it it looks like old old johnny do the playboy look not that bad after all you know i don't have <laughs> <laughs> I don't have mass I don't have poison mass in the, in the family, family yeah. lineage. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, there's a lot more feedback where that came from, but Jesse didn't want to read it because the Twitter ones were violent and the <laughs> ones on the website were way too long. So. In other words, some, some people have some violent family histories, which is not anybody's fault, but this what? is a family podcast. Yeah. It's the violent people's fault. Well, I mean, it's not the people who are tweeting about its fault. In, in most cases... No, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we don't They're know just that sharing for a what fact. they learned. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there you go. All right. So it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. All right. Well, earlier in the show, uh, we brought the hard hitting news that the Domino's in a foreign country was uh, if you were willing to get their logo, they would give you a lifetime of free Domino's. Uh, it got us thinking what's the craziest thing or most memorable thing or whatever that you've done to win something a prize an award <laughs> a uh dude a time that I, you I, have gone above and beyond to win the prize i i mean just last week our very own mark jackson and tyler daswick did went to great lengths to win a spot in the need to breathe football fantasy challenge and they got it they actually they did a social media campaign and all this photo shoots and all this dude, stuff and they got I, in. I have one i'm not proud of what? i was one time at i mean i told the story before i can't remember but i had gone after the miami heat had like made the trade for lebron and they had the heatles you know everyone wanted to go see him play so I went up to DC to a Wizards game to watch the Miami Heat take on the Wizards. And the Wizards were terrible. And actually that night, just before I got there, I traded Gilbert Arenas, who was their only good player at that time. To, so, to the Orlando Magic. 
Yeah, to the Orlando Magic. Uh, and at that point, Gilbert Arenas had stopped being good because he literally pulled a gun on one of his own teammates. That's a different story. But um, so the game was basically from a competitive standpoint was over by like, you know, halftime. But at the beginning of the game, so so a lot of people were losing interest in the game. But at the beginning of the game, they announced that there was going to be a special promotion. And if something happened during this game, everyone in there would get a coupon to a burger place in Washington, D.C. and get a free burger. And so there was this guy sitting right next to the court and he had a plate and the largest hamburger you have ever seen. Okay. <laughs> it, it was at least six inches tall and probably a foot wide. Like if you were to just take out the patty, like the circular patty, it would be like the size of a Frisbee, but really, really thick, like a, an impossibly big hamburger. And so the rule, the thing was he would have to sit there in front of the hamburger and start eating it. And if he finished it by the end of the game, everyone was going to get a free burger, you know? So by halftime, oh, wow. everyone's looking at the burger guy, not the game, because the game's no longer competitive. <laughs> and everyone is cheering for the burger guy. And you see the look on his face at halftime when they're still, he's eaten an insane uh. amount of hamburger, but has so much left to go at halftime. And he looks, <laughs> I mean, he looks looks awful, completely awful, but everyone is cheering for him. And when he takes breaks and I'm taking part in this, obviously is booing well, of him. Of course. What is booing him? <gasps> no, when he, if he when just takes breaks, when he, he booed, stands up to like walk and kind of get it digested a little, we're booing him. And when he gets back in, everyone starts cheering. And you can tell if it wasn't for the peer pressure, he would have tapped out. Like it gets to the end. And like, I've never felt like that weird about watching another human do something for the approval of thousands of others. Yeah. He has what's left on his plate. He's just mashing it with his hands into a burgery mush and just shoving it. It's the most degrading, dehumanizing thing I've literally ever witnessed in my life. He's covered head to toe in it at this point. And he's sweating and mashing it and putting it into his mouth. And it's not fun anymore. It is not fun. And everyone at this point realizes that at the same time. And everyone just stops cheering. And But at this point, he's like, pounding the table with his fist and he just wants to do it. And even though he did it, everyone was just like, oh, I definitely don't want a burger, even if it's free right now. It was just horrifying. Yeah, yeah. I felt terrible about participating. Thing ever seen. And I've never witnessed anything like it. It was disgusting and dehumanizing. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm very ashamed to this day of, of my participation in it. <laughs> but but you didn't do it. He did it. You just participated in the in the egging him on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I still won yeah, something. Okay. I still won you weren't, something. You weren't innocent. Yeah, blood was on your hands. Yeah. But. He, I'm assuming he did die a short time later and from di- complete digestive failure. And but even I like, definitely I'm, am culpable for that. I'm even thinking like those like uh, you know, uh timeout games that they have, like the fans come out and play it to win a coupon to something and then like you just you know you made a fool of yeah, out there yeah. everybody's I, I, I'm not gonna do yeah. that I, I did try I tried to eat a, a ginormous <laughs> pizza one time uh, and, and the only reward is that the pizza that you ate was free and it was just kind of a pride thing and I did not get close not even close <laughs> so then you had to pay yeah, for exactly. it exactly then not only do I feel horrible and not embarrass myself I had to pay like 40 bucks for this giant pizza it was so stupid have I ever told y'all that my friend Adam and I did a competition at one of those yogurt places where it was like the weight determines the cost? Yeah. And the the challenge was if it was $16 or more, 
I had to pay for it. And he was packing it. He was building it. If it was $16 or more, I had to pay for it. And it was less than $16. He had to pay for it. And I mean, he loaded it with cheesecake. And I mean, it was the tallest thing I've ever seen. All the fruit, so much yogurt. And it came in at 1530. Uh, and so he had to pay hey, for man, it. One time we, I used to go to this Mongol. Do you guys been to Mongolian barbecue? Where you fill the yeah. bowl and then you dump it on. Some of them are like, oh, you can eat. But I went to one where it was like, whatever you're, you can fit in that first bowl, you're fine. So I started at the meats instead of the noodles because the noodles and that's kind of, and, and like oh, the broccoli yeah. takes up a ton of space. So I went straight for the meats and I, and like, I like started putting them in the bowl and they're like kind of frozen or whatever. So I put it sauces on to melting them down and I was just packing it with my hand and I wanted to see how <clears throat> thick I get it. Yep. Anyway, you should have seen the look on the guy's face when he pours it out onto that big round, you know, burner or whatever. And like noodles and everything. So and there's like a bowling ball size of meat that it took him four <laughs> whacks with that big stick to break it up to be able to cook it. I was that's I was what Adam proud. did too. He was hand punching <laughs> yeah, the yogurt yeah. into the container. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> All right. So tell us the uh, the craziest thing you've ever done to win a free thing or an award or a contest or something like that. Hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can post your longer stories on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Uh, unlike last week's feedback, try to keep them not yeah. so violent. <laughs> I would ask for no more stories of mass poisonings. I don't know what kind of sickle no would win poison. a contest Young of that. Listeners. But how many people can in your family can you poison? The winner gets two pizzas. <laughs> Many thanks to Mark Foster for joining us. Uh, Go check out Foster the People's brand new album, Sacred Hearts Club, is out now. And obviously, their music is blowing up everywhere. The new issue of Relevant is out now. We told you about it last episode. And Johnny Swim is on the cover. Bo Burnham's in the issue. Uh, Hillsong Young and Free. uh, uh, W. Kamal Bell. I mean, mean, it's just packed. Christine Kane is just packed. Um, go check it out. It's at relevantmagazine.com. You can view the whole thing there. You can subscribe there as well and have it mailed to your house. Uh, or you can buy it, buy the print copy on newsstands nationwide. It's in, I think, most Barnes and Nobles and other stores. And we love the sport. I think you like the issue. It's a good one. Hey, and uh, while you're online, go over to the Relevant YouTube channel. Uh, there's some amazing new performance videos. Uh, the, the couple of songs that you heard from Johnny Swim on the last episode, the gorgeous, cinematic, moving uh, videos are on our YouTube page. And in the coming days and weeks, we will be adding a ton more content as well with Johnny Swim and other artists and interviews and a lot of great stuff in the pipeline at the YouTube uh, channel over there at Relevant. Uh, go uh, subscribe. When you subscribe, you get like notified yeah. when we post some new stuff and you won't want to miss it. Yeah. Okay, well, on that note, we'll wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Annie F. Downs. We will see you on Friday when our guest is Andy Stanley. Don't miss it. for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe.
how many people can in your family can you poison? The winner gets two pizzas. Relevant Podcast Network.